go into a series. I was looking over uh, texts that we've covered in the last, well, almost nine years now since um, I began preaching here regularly. And uh, I was looking at stuff we cover in evening services and morning services and all that. And I had come across uh, uh, Luke chapter 15. And back about eight years ago, we were in that text in the evening service talking about God's lost and found. And I said, well, I'm going to rework that and, and uh, uh, go over that. And so I started to do that. And then I said, well, this would be probably good for this Sunday. So that's how I ended up here today uh, talking about God's lost and found. Now, I think we have a lost and found box out here. And sometimes, you know, coats show up in there, hats show up in there, umbrellas, uh, books. I mean, you name it, uh, sometimes coffee mugs or all kinds of different things. But the, the, the things we're talking about here in the lost and found department, as far as God's lost and found department, deal with people. See, he's in the business, and he's really in the, uh, it's really his, his sole desire that uh, he ha- draw people back to himself in reconciliation. And that which is lost needs to be found. And that's kind of where we're at today. We're looking at that in, in Luke chapter 15. That's our text we'll see here that there are four lost things or lost people, lost uh, parables he uses uh, to talk about uh, these lost things. And we're going to go and kind of look at those things. Some of these are familiar to you, maybe some aren't. But we're going to just look at the lost sheep this morning. That's the first one. And then, Lord willing, over the next few Sundays, we're going to see these other ones. But I want to pick this up. This morning, looking at Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, we'll read down to verse 7. Luke, I think I said Luke 15, verses 1 to 7. There we go. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Lord, we do come before you thanking you. Thanking you for your word. Thanking you, Lord, for just the fact that the Bible shows us what your heart is like. And that, Lord, you are in the one who seeks and wants to save that which is lost. So, Lord, we pray today that many in our world would come to saving faith in Christ We thank you for, again, your word. Teach it to us this morning, and uh, may it be planted deep in our hearts and lives. And uh, we thank you uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're in this, uh, like I said, this section, and it begins by sort of setting a stage. We find that Jesus is in his public ministry. Um, He is sitting there teaching and those that have gathered around him and he has received into uh, by you know in his presence and all that uh, as this text opens it says that they were uh, tax collectors and sinners all right and the word publican in the old english uh, that referred to 
specifically someone who was uh, employed in the, in, the, in the scriptural times, anyways, in the Bible times, someone who was employed by, in this case, the Roman government. They were usually, it was resorted, you know, left for Jews that would look for employment, and they would actually become tax collectors for Rome. And they were despised. I, I would dare say that tax collecting, even to this day, is not one of those professions that you go into because you're popular, okay? Uh, there is some measure of importance of taxation and things like that, uh, but most of us would say we're well taxed for sure, you know. Uh, and when the tax collector comes, you don't like to receive them, I'm sure. Uh, nobody likes a, even a letter from the IRS. Well, in Jesus' day, it was even worse because um, they saw the Roman government as an occupying force in their land, a land that God had given them. And then there were these Jews that had sold themselves out to Rome to go and to collect taxes on their fellow Jews. And so they were despised. And when it says here that there were tax collectors there, you can sort of set the stage, right? The way people would perceive a man like Jesus sitting down with these kind of folks. And sinners. And the, the word for sinner is just that. It's those that uh, were known in society as sinners. And I would dare say that um, first the Bible teaches that we are all sinners and that there isn't one of us that is free of sin. So we indeed are sinners. But there's also, the, in the context of this, these were particular people that even society in their sort of self-righteousness would deem as sinners, you know? Those that came from some very shady backgrounds and dealings that would have been known publicly because that's how they're known. So when they walked around, they were known as sinners, all right? Uh, I would just say that, Sometimes we like to classify people, don't we? We like to classify some as worse than us. And it kind of, we do that because we don't really want to confront the true us, that we are indeed sinners as well. Well, that sets the stage. Here are these, this group of people. They've come to sit with Jesus. He's received them in and he's teaching them. And the self-righteous group, the Pharisees and the scribes, they come along and they complain. And by the way, anytime you see the Pharisees and scribes in Scripture, um, not all the time, because there were some that were righteous, like Nicodemus, right? Um, others that were, would have been on the councils, and Joseph of Arimathea, others that are mentioned. But for the most part, they were actually um, people who would walk in and they commanded respect from their position. The word Pharisee means keeper of the law, and that meant they were protectors of the law of God. That's the way they saw their life. And I've talked about this before. The Pharisees were such that they, they had all kinds of rules that they added beyond what God added to his law. By the hundreds, they did this. And they did it so they were protecting the law. And I've mentioned some of the silly ones that they did before. Things like on the Sabbath day, you could not wipe your nose if your nose was running. Because if you wiped your nose, it would be work and you'd be in violation of the Sabbath. So to raise a handkerchief to your nose or your sleeve or whatever else you'd use, it would be considered a violation of the Sabbath. Now that isn't in the Bible, is it? They would add those kind of rules like that. They got around it because they said if your nose was running, if you were in an upper floor, you could descend to a lower floor and then you could wipe your nose so that if uh, that way you are lower than where you began so you're not raising your arm. When Jesus comes along and he says to the Pharisees, 
you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. He uses that little term, you know, referring to the way they got tripped up in their own laws. And they did that. Can you imagine those kind of rules being in in place on you? And the Pharisees would walk around, and as they walked around, they commanded that kind of respect, and many of them were like that. They would look at somebody, and they would look at them and say things like that. You know, your nose is running. Don't wipe that. All right? Would you like to live in a society like that? No. Well, these are the ones that were complaining. They were complaining because Pharisees would never sit at a table somewhere or uh, in, a, in an open area where sinners and tax collectors would be gathered to hear their teaching. Quite honestly, people only would gather around the Pharisees to hear their teaching. I say only, most of them anyways, would only gather around the Pharisees because it, they thought they would be in the in crowd if they were part of those, you know, that, that group that was teaching and all that. Um, you can read in the book of Matthew when Jesus calls them he calls them blind guides and he says woe unto you scribes and pharisees and he was very condemning of them and the thing is they did not see their own need they held to a form of godliness on the outside and they thought they were right in the center of god's will and yet they were as lost as anybody even more so because they couldn't see the fact they were lost whereas sinners And tax collectors knew they were despised and they were lost and they needed someone to save them. Well, the Bible says that Jesus came and so he spoke parables to them. And when Jesus comes along, he spoke often in these stories. And the word parable, uh, the root word there, para or prefix there, meaning to come alongside of. Um, for instance, sometimes we say like a line that's next to another line is parallel, right? Well, a parable is a store, story that is, has a, another meaning to it, all right? And often it was a little story that, you know, sounded good. It was, it was something that you could just kind of listen to and, and uh, understand right on the surface of it. Children could understand it. But for those that wanted to see the deeper meaning of it, um, they would search a little further. And Jesus told a lot of parables, Uh, And he was a great storyteller, the perfect storyteller, because he breathed out God's word, didn't he? Well, we read of this. Anyways, I want to look at this uh, text this morning about the lost sheep. And uh, one of the, the things it says here that it says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That was the sort of, in this case, the Pharisees and the scribes were saying that it was sort of their condemnation of jesus but in reality it showed the compassion of jesus because jesus didn't turn around or turn away anybody and i think that um, you see that and if you want an outline this is not original with me but an outline that i've had but it uh it, it appears in various forms in most of the commentaries on this section but you have the shepherd's compassion in verse four and you do, you see compassion that he had. The first area of compassion is that he had compassion for a lost sheep. So he tells this story about a sheep that has gone away and, and is lost, and it's not in the fold. And the shepherd goes out to seek that sheep and to find it and rescue it. So again, in verse 3 it says, And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? 
And Jesus asks a question. And I like that. Because when you, if you ever want to know how Jesus witnessed to people, uh, how, he, how he got them, really what he did is he got them to think. I mean, sometimes it's good to ask people questions, right? Ask them some probing questions. And I can imagine those scribes and Pharisees, some of them had, um, they would have had holdings in the, in the sheep pens somewhere, probably had someone hired to do that, a shepherd somewhere. And they would have known that even one sheep that has gone missing is a valuable sheep. And that if you were worth your salt, you would go out and make sure at least somebody went out and found that sheep. Jesus says, he brings it even a little closer, and he says, imagine if you were the shepherd, and you had a hundred sheep, and one goes missing. Would you not go out and find that one? And of course, the answer is that yes, most would do that. I would say that a good shepherd would always do that. Well, he had compassion for lost sheep. Now, as I said, a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning. Underneath this story really is a picture of the lostness of mankind. Every single man and woman, boy and girl that's ever come into this world is a sinner, born in Adam's race. And you know what? We are shaped in that iniquity and we go astray. We have actually, we are, we are like sheep. And sheep have a tendency to go astray and they get lost easily. I've never been a shepherd of sheep. But I can tell you this, that I have, uh, I've seen it before. I've seen shepherds out there when I was in Europe. I've seen uh, other times. I've read about that. I had one day uh, a guy came and taught us a class on the, uh, the Psalm 23. And he had spent some time with a shepherd in the land of Israel. And he was sharing about sheep and all the things he learned about sheep. And I thought in that whole class, one of the things I took away from that was this, that people are a lot like sheep. We have a tendency to get lost. We tend to get caught up in things that we never saw coming. And we have no way to get back to where we should. And our sin is like that. Because we're sinners, we get lost. And we are lost, even uh, in that way. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, written um, 700 plus years from the time of Christ, Isaiah writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Somewhere in, back in that time and many times. But that's a messianic verse. In other words, it's a prophecy about someone who was going to come. And who would be punished for our sin. And Isaiah says, we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. And my friends, that's our condition before God, before we know the Savior, before we come to him in faith. We are lost, and he wants to save you. One of the great verses of Scripture, the best known verse of Scripture, uh, is John 3.16. And I go back to this regularly because I think it's, it's a verse that sums it up. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. By the way, Jesus was telling that to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. I think he was a good Pharisee. I say that good in that he sought the truth directly from Jesus. And he comes to him by night. And in John chapter 3, Jesus explains to him how to be saved. 
And he explains what the word born again means, or the term, being born from above, which is an act of faith, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're converted. You're born again. Anyways, I won't talk all about that, but John 3.16 has a, ver, a word in there called, says, whoever believes in him should not perish. Do you know the word perish is, in Greek, the same word for that which is lost. All right? And it is the same, uh, same usage of that word. Those that are lost are perishing. Sometimes a lost person, or let's go back and make it even simpler than that, a lost sheep, they could be in great danger and not know it. And they are perishing. They're in the very act of perishing. Even though their heart's still beating and they're still moving through life, but they're in very dangerous terms because not only this life is dangerous and filled with evil and all kinds of things, but they are just one, for people, one heartbeat away from facing a holy God and having their sin on them and not the Savior's blood who has paid for our sin. And if you don't accept Christ as your Savior... You are already in that state of condemnation, not because God has condemned you, but because your sin has condemned you. And you will face the condemnation of God someday. That's the Bible message. In John chapter 3, verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned. That's a great statement. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not condemned because someone took your sin at the cross of Calvary. But, look what it says, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why is he not, why is he condemned? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, God has only given one way and only one method of salvation for lost people. And it's through his only Son, Jesus. God the Son. John chapter 3 verse 36 He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's present tense. If you are not a believer in Christ, you are in great danger because the wrath of God abides on you presently. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. And it's possible that a, a sheep or a person can go astray And as I said, we're born that way. We're already out of the fold. We're already going astray. But think of a sheep. They might go out there and they think, oh, look, a little more green grass over here. It looks greener anyways. And they get out there and they don't realize they're going right into a a place where they're going to be, you know, killed, killed by wolves or something like that. But imagine this, that you're already condemned and you're already in trouble. You have nowhere to go. You need someone to rescue you. Well, Jesus is the compassionate shepherd. By the way, the Bible over and over over again reminds us of the way of uh, sin. And if we do not reconcile with God, um, and it's, it's very clear. Psalm 9 here, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I think we ought to know that more in America today because I think we're headed as a nation and nations are made up of individual people but nations who forget God are in a lot of trouble and I think we need a turning back to God in that way. Well, we see the shepherd's compassion for a lost sheep but for a loved sheep. You see, 
the shepherd was driven not only the good shepherd anyways not only because of the monetary value of one sheep out of a hundred right all of us probably could take a one percent loss but uh and, and that may be significant if it's all your livelihood but it was more than that shepherds that would um, they would be with their sheep all the time. And there's a lot that is said about shepherds and, and those things. But anyways, um, good shepherds would come to know their sheep. They would call them by their names even. And the sheep would recognize the voice of the shepherd, all of those. Read John chapter 10 because Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And we'll come up with a few of those things. But anyways, a good shepherd would shepherd because he loved his sheep. That they were more than just a valuable, um, something to raise, you know, for money or whatever else. But it was because uh, he came to know them and knew them intimately in that way. Jeremiah 31.3 tells us what the Lord is like. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do you know that God loved you? He loved me before we even were in existence. He knew everything about me before I was even shaped in my mother's womb. He knew everything about me, and he still loved me. Sometimes I'm not too lovable. I think my wife would love me anyways, but you know what? You ask her, there's some days it's a little harder to love me than others. But you know that God loved me, and God loves you? Sometimes that's so almost trite. We say, God loves you, but it's true. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much that he was willing to go. And when we hated him, and when we went astray, and we went our own way, and he came to us to seek and to save that which was lost. Romans chapter 5 says that. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly. You see, there was a time in my life I wasn't much like God. I'm still a work in progress. If you're a believer, you know how that is. That's the sanctification process, right? But there was a time when I would have been very uncomfortable in a room of believers and Christians in church um, only because I knew what I had done the night before or where I had been the day before or some, in some cases, just before I came to you know, that group. I was a sinner. And I did some ungodly things. And yet Christ loved me even when I was ungodly. He loved you too. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. We have all those stories everywhere, don't we? Where, you know, band of brothers, you know, that kind of story where you go out and you would even give your life for those that you love. But imagine going out and giving your life for those that hate you. That's a little different, isn't it? That's what God did. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. It's his own love. Not my love or his, you know, your love, but his love. And he shows it. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it wonderful? You see those that are gathered around Jesus. He's received them to himself. And they're there. And they're sinners and tax collectors. And those that think they're so righteous, they're, they're excluded from that. They don't even realize they're the lost ones he's talking about. Well, Christ had compassion for a lost sheep, a love sheep, and a lone sheep. You know, 
it's one thing to say, well, I still got 99 sheep here, and you know, we'll write off that one. But that's not the way he was. He says, a good shepherd would go and leave the 99, presumably in care, and he would go and find the one that is missing, the one that is lost, and not return until he found him. In the life of King David, David, before he was king of Israel, he was a shepherd. He's the shepherd boy that appears on the scene publicly um, as one of the, the, the youngest of his father's uh, boys. And, you know, he appears in uh, the valley of Elah facing a giant of a man named Goliath. And there he slays Goliath. And, and the backstory to that, when you read of it in 1 Samuel, when his brothers, who are older, and they are the ones that are actually at war, and they're in their armor and all of that, and they're on the battle line, and David comes up to bring food to them, they mock him for wanting to go down and confront the giant. You know what David defends his actions of doing that? He says, when I was in the, watching my, the sheep you know, all alone, he said there was a time a bear came and took a sheep. And you know what David did? He went out and he killed the bear. Not only a bear, a lion also. And when no one else was watching, he went out and he killed those predators that had come to get his sheep. And there's another account there of David. He talks about this, that when one of the lambs was taken and it was, um, uh, it was killed, David hunted down the animal that killed it and he took the remains of that lamb back. He was so concerned even for the one that had died. That he went after it. You know, God is like that. God is concerned for you. You alone. Now, he's concerned for everybody at the same time, but you alone matter. Listen, I live in a world today in America, and presumably everywhere in the world, but really in America especially, I think we're seeing, uh, sadly, uh, a wave of people giving up on life. Because they don't think they have any value. Sadly, a school down in Bangor, this this week um, at Bangor Christian they had an 8th grader kill himself and I'm so saddened by that and, and that's touched some of us here I know that but you know what can I just tell you something reassure you God loves you alone and he has so much value on your life as, as you might not think you have much value or you might think that I'm just nobody but you're not you're someone that God has his eternal love and affection for. So much so that he was willing to give his own life for you. And um, that's a high cost. You matter. And the sheep that was lost, that sheep might have been out there. It didn't realize its situation. It didn't realize how hard it was, uh, what was going on. But the shepherd knew that sheep was in danger and was lost And that shepherd was seeking that sheep, the lone sheep. You might be that lone sheep. Listen, you can be saved today. The Savior wants to save you. Luke 19.10. This is the, the key verse to the whole gospel of Luke. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have said many times, that is the verse that led my wife to Christ when she was a little girl. And 
they, she wanted to know. She, she realized she was a little sinner. And you know what? She went to her mother, and they talked about why Jesus came. And her mother took her to this verse. And it was this verse that made sense to her. And she trusted Jesus as the Savior. And I'm glad I got a Christian wife out of that. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. But Jesus got even more, didn't he? He got a lost sheep back in the fold. John chapter 10, verse 3. Jesus says to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus knows your name. He knows where you've been. He knows what your life is like now. He knows what it's going to be like. And he knows your name. That's important. That reminds us that we can call on him. Because he won't reject anybody that does. The book of Romans says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't know where you've been and the things you've done. I've had people tell me before, I could never go to heaven because I've done some terrible things. I've had a guy say to me, not long ago actually, said, uh, you don't know what I've done in my past and I don't think God would ever want me. And I say this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you have to turn from your sin. See, you, you can't come to him and want your sin also. You've got to repent and that repentance is a, is a 180. It's saying, I'm turning around. I'm going God's way, not my way. Well, we see the shepherd's commitment. Verse 5. It says this. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. What a beautiful picture. Here's the shepherd. He's left the 99 in the care of others probably going out. And he finds the one. And when he finds that sheep he doesn't grab a big stick and say, you, you know, and start beating the sheep, right? We might do that. Um, that's not what he does. What does he do? He rescues the sheep and he takes that sheep that realizes probably at that point how bad it is, you know, what I've done. And you know what? Picks that sheep up, puts it in on his shoulders. The shoulder is a place of strength. The shoulders are a place of rest. And I, I picture that. You know, I, I think as a, when I was a little boy, and I can remember when my dad used to pick me up, put me on his shoulders, and I thought, man, I'm so high up. Look at this. The world's a whole different perspective up there. I was a little scared. But you know what? I realized that my dad had me on his shoulders. I don't think he'd try that today. But anyways, you know. <laughs> I say it that way because probably all of us have had those experiences like that this sheep is picked up and put on the shoulders of a compassionate shepherd a committed shepherd and we see a little bit about this this compassion right and this commitment the first one is it was sacrificial it was sacrificial in the sense that yes for the shepherd who goes out and finds a lost sheep he was doing so at the peril of his own life as well um, most often those sheep would go out into some dangerous places, right? And from the perspective of the sheep, like Psalm 23 is a perspective of a sheep, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, right? And the shepherd comes sometimes into that place where it is dark, in the valley, 
And I'm thankful Jesus walks with us through every part of life if you'll let him. If you'll let him. But he's sacrificial because Jesus gave his life for the sheep. And that's what he says in John 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Would you do that? Would you give your life for one sheep that's gone astray? But Jesus is the good shepherd and he did. He gave his life for you and for me and for everybody. John 15 verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. He counted us friends. He laid his life down for us. Someday in heaven. That will be the song of the redeemed. The song of uh, we will sing a new song. And we will give glory to God for redeeming us and saving us. Finding us when we were lost. He's given us a name. And he's written it down in his book. The book of life. Revelation 13.8 talks about that. Secondly it was a successful commitment. Sacrificial but successful he doesn't go out there, wander around, say, well, I've done my duty, looked for the sheep. He goes out, he doesn't come back until he's found the sheep. By the way, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't do it just to gain favor of a few or something like that. He actually went to accomplish the payment for sin, which was death. See, someone had to die. And so the innocent, the sinless, died for me, took my place at the cross. That's the wonderful story of God's love and his sacrifice, his commitment. And he didn't stop halfway through when they started to beat him or strip his clothes from him or scourge him or putting a crown of thorns on his head. He didn't say, okay, that's enough. No, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus had to go to death. Not just any death, but the death of the most horrible suffering imaginable, the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says this, And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In other words, he died. He did so only after it was finished. What was finished? The payment for sin. Fully finished. By the way, It doesn't have to be repaid ever again. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. And that's the word he uses. It's finished. You do not have to pay for your sin. You won't be able to pay for it anyways. Only one could ever pay for it. And he died on a cross almost 2,000 years ago. And he died for you and me. And my friends, you don't have to go and try to find a sacrifice uh, that will pay for your sins now that's different than Jesus. And you will not. Because there is no other sacrifice. He died once for all. And the salvation is complete. You need only receive it as a gift. I like Isaiah 50 verse 7. This is another messianic verse. And this shows the commitment of the Lord. It says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. Flint is a very hard stone, isn't it? And he says, my face is set. And I am going toward why he came. That's, That's prophetic. That's future. And I know that I will not be ashamed. That's referring 
to uh, the Messiah who was going to come and he was going to finish the work that he needed to do. That brings us to the last point here, the shepherd's conquest. Verses 6 and 7. The shepherd's conquest. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. My friends, I can only imagine what heaven is going to be like someday when we are there and there are many that have gone on before me anyways they've gone on and and you know i someday will pass through the portals of death and go into the presence of the lord and if you're one of his you will too and you know what we are not alone there will be a countless number of the redeemed in heaven and listen when one sinner repents just like that neighborhood was rejoicing when the sheep was found he says it'll be even more so in heaven when one sinner repents all of heaven will erupt hallelujah praise god and they will say that over can you imagine millions of people saying that all at once Woo! what a day by the way heaven isn't going to be a quiet boring place you're not going to be sitting on a cloud strumming a harp ding 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 you know uh that would get old real quick wouldn't it it's going to be an exciting place. It's going to be a place where we won't cry anymore. We won't have any more pain. We won't be lost anymore. We won't be in a big scary world anymore. We're going to be in the presence of God. But not only Him, but others that have gone on before us. Some of you have people that are there. Someone that, some that are very, were very close to you here. Well, guess what? You're going to be there again if you're one of His. We see some things that it involves here in this conquest. See, the shepherd goes out to find the sheep. And number one, it involves a rescue. He went out and he didn't just find the sheep, but he picked the sheep up and he put them on his shoulders and he went back. I'm so glad that that's the way the Lord is. Can I tell you something? Sometimes we use the term, I found Jesus. And I, I, I would say that that is somewhat accurate in that in my life, there was a time when all of a sudden I was aware that Jesus was there. But can I tell you a little bit more about that now? The Bible tells us that he found us. <laughs> he came to us. I was lost. And I had no hope of heaven. And I was, I was at one, just one heartbeat away from going to hell. And he found me. And I looked up and I thought I found him. But no, he found me. And I'm so thankful he did. Because it involved a rescue. He rescued me. He rescued me. I didn't even know how bad I was off. I I didn't. And I still don't. There's no way my mind could comprehend how bad I was. Sometimes if we knew exactly what would take place in the next minute of our life and we were going down the road or something and some terrible accident would happen or something like that, of course, if we knew that impending doom was ahead of us, we we wouldn't even get in a car, would we? We certainly change our behavior. Sometimes we don't know how desperate we are. But the Bible tells us that we are born separated from God and we go further away from God in our sin and He has to come rescue us. Oh, thank you, Lord, for rescuing us or offering that. I suppose the sheep had to be willing, though, too. He had to be willing to be rescued. If that sheep saw the shepherd 
and then, then took off running again and running again and again and again. Eventually, that sheep is going to end up further lost. And I think a lot of people go through life like that, don't they? They think, oh, I, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going away. It's further away and further away. And listen, the shepherd is there. He wants to rescue you. You need to turn to him before it's too late. It involved rest. I think of that sheep. There probably came a time when the sheep realized that they were lost and they were in trouble and didn't know the way back. And there have been times that uh, I remember that one shepherd who or a man who had spent some time with sheep and as a shepherd. And he says, you wouldn't believe the mess that sheep can get into. He says, they're just, they'll go out and get into a thicket, a bush that will just narrow up all their wool. And you have to literally go out and cut them out of the bush. And it's a lot of work. Especially when a sheep really doesn't know what's going on sometimes. Why am I getting cut out of a bush, you know? And then you cut them out and get them back. And they run right off to another bush and get stuck, you know? And they do that. No, the shepherd just took this one, wherever, whatever condition the sheep was in, picked him up, put him on his shoulders. I like that. Rest. You can find rest for your weary soul in the Lord Jesus. You will not truly find rest anywhere else. I like this too. The sheep did not need to do anything to be saved. In the sense of, or to be kept saved. See, the shepherd rescued him, put him up on his shoulders. And then at that point, it was dependent upon the shepherd to get him to his destination. And my friends, it is such a wonderful truth in the Bible that your salvation is not kept. My salvation is not kept by me. It's a good thing because... I, I, I misplace things all the time, right? Things. And I can't imagine, them, you know, they're important things sometimes. You ever lose your car keys? And you're sitting out there and you've got, you know, a car, whatever it's worth, you know, and all that. And you're like, I can't move that thing because I don't have a set of keys. Well, it's much worse with your soul, isn't it? Think of that. But the Lord Jesus never misplaces anything. His salvation is a, a salvation not only from the power of sin past, but the presence of sin, but also the future in the sense that our sin will never be remembered again in his presence. And he keeps it. He keeps that salvation. And that's what the book of First Peter says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Aren't you glad that death did not hold Jesus, but he rose again? And the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that he will keep your salvation. He will keep you saved. Look what he says. To an inheritance incorruptible. Down here there's no such thing as an incorruptible inheritance. Either someone else will get it. Or the moth will get it. Or the mouse or the rust or whatever else. Uh, Something will tarnish. It's like that. But not up there. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. And look what it says, reserved in heaven for you. I like that because down here, you can put something in the strongest safe imaginable and have valuables in that safe, and there's somebody out there that can break into that safe, just so you know. But in heaven, there's nothing that breaks through and steals. There's nothing that ever will get in there that is sin. It's, it's a perfect place. And inheritance is, is reserved there in heaven. Who are, look at this, who are kept 
by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you realize that your salvation is kept by him and not by you? Like I said, good thing. Because there's days you might wake up and you think, I'm not doing so well today, spiritually. And I don't know if I even feel like a Christian. Listen, go back to the word of God and look what it says. He keeps you. If you're truly one of his, he has it. And then lastly, it involves rejoicing. A great rejoicing. Verse 7, it says, And I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. You know, there's a contrast here. And Jesus is using um, some imagery here. He isn't saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, you don't need salvation. But he is pointing out the fact that they don't think they need salvation. Some of the hardest people to reach are those that will not admit that they're lost. Those that don't understand their situation or don't want to understand it. And they plug their spiritual ears and they say, you won't make me listen. And that's what was going on with most of the Pharisees and the scribes. Don't be like them. But Jesus says this, there'll be great joy. A lot of joy. I don't know how much, but more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And you have the picture there of those sheep that didn't, you know, stray, didn't leave, didn't do that. And there'll be joy over someone who does come in. And I love that uh, picture. And I think there'll be a great grand rejoicing in heaven as people show up there. Um, and how, how, as they do, it'll be a great time. And you say, well, how in the world would you ever do that with millions and millions and potentially billions of people that, of faith that have, um, are, have a place in heaven reserved? How is it that we'll have time to do all that? Because we have all eternity, right? That's the way it's going to be outside of time even. I, I love that. A lot more could be said with that. But listen, um, we have this image of the lost sheep and the compassionate, committed, and conquering shepherd and i'm so thankful that we have such a shepherd which is jesus do you know him hey today could be the day you're introduced to him turn from your sin and trust jesus he's promised to save you and to bring you into his fold father thank you for the word of god and lord as we again just pause and are reminded we thank you that you came to us when we could not go to you and that you have offered salvation so rich and so free and a salvation that involves rest thank you for that in jesus name amen